This is Financing the Future, a UNEPFI podcast with the changemakers serving people and planet. I'm your host, Elliot Harris. There is no doubt that the impact of climate change is being felt all around the world. Weather-related disasters are becoming more frequent and more intense. The costs of recovering from or reducing the vulnerability to these tragedies are high. They are becoming increasingly difficult to absorb financially, or for insurance companies, for example, to cover. There have been uh, a number of pledges made uh, at the COP, uh, including, you know, this famous uh, 100 billion per year that's going to be made available to developing countries to allow them to invest in in, ad- in adaptation. Uh, we haven't seen it fully realized uh, yet. In this episode of our podcast series, we look at financing adaptation for a resilient future. We are joined today by Leslie Ndlovu, who sits on the UNEP-FI Leadership Council as the Chief Executive Officer of Africa Risk Capacity, ARC. The ARC is a specialized agency of the African Union, established to help African governments improve their capacities to better plan and prepare for, and respond effectively to, extreme weather events and natural disasters. Leslie, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Leslie, let's start off with a, a, a broad question, if you will. It's it's increasingly clear that developing countries face much greater challenges in dealing with the impact of climate change than more advanced economies. Each country and each region has its own vulnerabilities, of course, but in broad terms, how do you see Africa being affected by climate change? How How big is its impact? If we take a step back and we just look at the he- recent history, Uh, we are seeing an increasing frequency and severity of weather-related natural disasters, namely droughts, floods, and tropical uh, cyclones. Uh, In the past year alone, we've had a very severe drought in the Sahel, uh, a severe drought in Eastern Africa, so in Somalia, Ethiopia, parts of Kenya, as well as in Southern Africa, Malawi, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and Madagascar. In the case of Madagascar, we've also had a very intense tropical cyclone, tropical cyclone uh, Batsirai. When we run our models, uh, these type of events should happen together only once every 200 uh, years. But obviously, we're seeing them happen more frequently uh, than, than that. On our part, as the African Risk Capacity Uh, We provide parametric insurance, which is insurance that pays out claims very quickly based on a model loss. So we use uh, satellite data to predict the size of economic loss arising from uh, these extreme weather events. Parametric insurance then allows us to be able to pay claims within three or four business days of an event happening, meaning that our clients, in this case governments, are able to mount a very effective, uh, well-financed response, achieving much better outcomes than the traditional approach of waiting for the disaster to happen and then mobilizing international aid. Thank you for that, because that raises an interesting uh, question. How can Africa best deal with the impact of these events that are already happening, as you say, more frequently and recover from them effectively? We have your your insurance, your parametric insurance that helps with that recovery, is that enough? In Africa, agriculture plays a particularly important role. 
uh, it contributes about one third of the GDP and employs about two thirds of the workforce. So you cannot talk about development in Africa without addressing uh, the needs of the agricultural sector. They are vital to secure the development uh, uh, gains uh, that we all talk about so frequently. In my view, I think we need an integrated approach uh, to solving the problem. There is uh, a lot of work that needs to be done around adaptation. And for me, adaptation would include me measures such as uh, this move from rain-fed agriculture to uh, irrigation-based uh, uh, agriculture. Uh, secondly, it includes better farming practices, such as uh, the use of better quality seeds, uh, better quality fertilizers, as well as relying on expert meteorological advice uh, for planting, weeding, and, har and harvesting. And of course, uh, post-harvest, there's also some work to be done in terms of minimizing post-harvest losses through better storage, transportation of uh, food uh, to the market. So then this is what needs to be done at a holistic uh, level. Specifically in my sector around uh, insurance, we are at the African Risk Capacity providing insurance to about 30 million Africans per year. It's a big number, but it's also a small number in the sense that there are 700 million Africans who could benefit from the type of insurance uh, that we provide. So there needs to be also a significant scaling up of uh, insurance programs uh, such as, uh, as, as ours. As you've stressed a couple of times, the, the climate change is accelerating. Yeah, we have these uh, weather-related disasters becoming more frequent, and the risk and the costs of these events are rising. More importantly, I think their impacts are becoming more widespread. You, you mentioned we have simultaneously in the Sahel, in East Africa, and in Southern Africa, severe droughts. So what are the options in your view for managing these rising risks and costs? Because that must surely affect the cost and the affordability of the available insurance products. Every country, I think, coming out of COP27, has been uh, re uh, required to come up with a national adaptation plan. And this national adaptation plan I think, is a holistic view across all the sectors in the country to determine uh, how much uh, is needed to finance climate change and what uh, activities are required uh, to finance adaptation. So for me, this is the, uh, is the starting point. As you will have already noted, I have stressed several times the need to have a holistic integrated uh, plan because climate change is something that affects all the sectors of the economy and has to be dealt with and can only be dealt with in a holistic uh, uh, way. So in the insurance business, we look at risk across three uh, uh, lenses. The first one is around the hazard. So the hazard would be a drought, a flood, or a tropical cyclone uh, in our case. Uh, we look at uh, exposure. Exposure really deals about uh, the likelihood of a country being affected by uh, a hazard. So this is the uh, likelihood of a country 
being hit by a tropical cyclone, being affected by a drought, or being affected by a flood. Generally speaking, there isn't much that a country can do about the uh, exposure because it's usually a function of longitude and latitude, right? And that's impossible uh, uh, to change. But where a country can really make a difference is around the vulnerability. So on the drought, as I've already indicated, it's around improving agricultural practices, irrigation, drought resistant seeds, use of use of of, of, of fertilizers, etc. Uh, on a flood, it would be around the building of uh, flood walls to protect cities and communities against uh, storms, uh, storm surge. It's improving drainage uh, to mitigate against uh, flash floods. And on tropical cyclones, it's also around investing in early warning systems so that people can be moved to uh, safety even before the cyclone uh, uh, the cyclone uh, hits. So all of these uh, activities then reduce the amount of insurance that a country uh, would have to uh, uh, take out, right? Because an insurance is now then applied to just the residual uh, risk. It also lowers the premiums uh, of a country uh, in the long run. In fact, that raises an interesting conundrum, however, Leslie, because I can imagine that in, in many of the insurance models, one would expect that you could pool the risk by having clients in different regions, for example, different countries, knowing that if one area, one region, one set of clients is directly affected by some catastrophe, the chances of the other areas being simultaneously affected are probably not quite so high. But is that still the truth? We have climate change that's happening everywhere. And as you mentioned, I mean, we, we're seeing these climate-related disasters appearing more frequently, but also in a much more widespread manner, so that different regions are being affected simultaneously by similar events. Does that not make the, does that call into question to some extent, the, the underlying approach, which is to diversify the risk and to pool the risk? If everyone is facing essentially the same risk, doesn't that uh, cause the model to be a little bit more worrisome? One of the fundamental tenets of insurance is that uh, the premiums of the many pay for the claims of the, of the few. So as you have rightly pointed out, it relies on having many uh, 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 countries in a, in a pool so that when uh, a disaster unfortunately happens uh, to some of the countries, you have the pool of premiums to be able to pay uh, for those uh, natural disasters. However, even though we focus solely on the African uh, continent as implied by our name, the African Risk Capacity, we are part of the global insurance uh, system via reinsurance. So we are not retaining 100% of the risk ourselves because we are reinsuring some of the risk into the global markets which then aggregate risks from the, from the Caribbean, from uh, the US, from Europe, from Asia, into a global uh, risk pool. Africa is still a very small part of the global uh, insurance and reinsurance markets, which is why the model uh, still works. We also uh, take into account uh, 
the increasing frequency and severity of these events through our pricing. So in the way we price our premiums, we rely on 20 years of historical data as well as simulated data. So on the historical data, what this simply means is every year we ingest a new uh, year of data and we drop off uh, the oldest uh, data set. So this means that our models are constantly recalibrating uh, to the risk as it stands now. Mm. On the simulated uh, data, which we also used as part of our pricing model, we are also in increasing the range of scenarios uh, that we take into account. Scenarios that would have been un un unthinkable a few years ago are becoming uh, mainstream. And all of this, as you rightly say, uh, points to an increasing uh, pricing uh, for insurance uh, uh, programs. And also on our side, you know, just to put everything on the table, we are working with bilateral uh, donors uh, to subsidize some of the insurance programs for the poorest of the African uh, countries, because we believe that insurance programs are more effective and much faster at delivering uh, money, so via the payment of claims, than traditional humanitarian uh, assistance. So even for the donors, it's easier for them to uh, pay or subsidize for a portion of the premiums than uh, have released emergency funding for uh, an urgent humanitarian appeal post uh, a natural disaster. Yes, thank you. But that, that raises a very important point and one of the questions that I had here, which is that, of course, as the risk of these weather-related events increases and they're becoming more frequent, so of course that risk is becoming higher, then of course the cost of the insurance products does rise because you have to take the increased risk into account in setting the premium. And I have often wondered um, that no matter what the solution to the problem of, of adaptation might be, these solutions might become uh, so somewhat out of reach of potential clients in the context of Africa, for example, where disposable incomes are not as not as high, where governments seldom have a financial surplus that they can invest in these sorts of risk mitigation mechanisms. And so I, I think there must be a particular challenge for you to try to keep these these facilities affordable and accessible to African governments, even as the in internal cost of them is rising because of the because of the rising risk. You mentioned that the, the donors can help with subsidizing the cost. Is there a limit to that? Can you continue to provide the kind of products you want, you need to provide, even in the face of this rising cost profile? So for us at the African uh, risk uh, capacity, uh, we want to bring insurance solutions to the African continent uh, at scale. Right? We want to make insurance more accessible, we want to make insurance more uh, available and we want to make insurance more affordable because as I mentioned we provide insurance to about 30 million people per year now uh, and really our goal is to cover the 700 million uh, people who need it on the African continent. And then you ask uh, a very pertinent question on whether uh, the, these type of risks are becoming uninsurable uh, and this is quite interesting because it's part of the whole global uh, discussion and it doesn't just affect Africa 
uh, alone. In my uh, uh, judgment, the way we keep the risks insurable is also by simultaneously investing in adaptation. So you go back to the three main perils that we're covering. On drought, I think it's quite clear what uh, can be done on drought in terms of irrigation and better agricultural practices. On flooding, it's quite clear what uh, can be done there. Uh, and on tropical cyclones also, it's quite clear what, need, what can be done there. However, also embedded in your question is then about how all these are going to be financed given the fact that uh, African governments are not flush with, with cash. There have been uh, a number of pledges made uh, at the COP, uh, including you know, this famous uh, 100 billion per year that's going to be made available to developing countries to allow them to invest in, in, ad in adaptation. Of course, uh, the money has so far has been uh, a trickle. Uh, we haven't seen it fully realized uh, yet, but getting this 100 billion out to the countries that need it, invested in the projects that would make a difference, is uh, the only way that we can uh, really tackle uh, climate change in a holistic, uh, in a holistic way. It also feeds into the climate justice uh, uh, argument. Uh, the uh, developing countries, in particular African countries, have contributed the least uh, in terms of carbon emissions, but they are settled with the worst effects of uh, climate change, and they don't really have the financial bandwidth, uh, uh, if you may, to be able to cope uh, with some of these natural uh, uh, disasters. I agree, Leslie. I think you're, you're quite right. You, you touch on an extremely important point here. As we see the the, the scope of these climate damaging uh, events coming up, becoming more important, uh, it's not enough just to react. One has to try to reduce the, the vulnerabilities. And you said that explicitly earlier on, and you do that through the types of structural investments that you that you have uh, described. Um, the, the one question I have to raise here, though, is you mentioned the the 100 billion that had been promised in the concept in the context of the cops and so on. But it would seem to me that there there also has to be a a private sector response. These investments can't be left only up to the governments because the need for the types of investments that we talk about is just so high. Um, one of the problems that we face in Africa, however, is that particularly with regard to privately financed investment, the market perception of the risk of a given project is already very elevated, more elevated than it would be for a similar project in a, an upper middle income country somewhere else in another continent. And that complicates greatly the mobilization of private capital for investment. This is a question I'm sure you don't have the definitive answer to, but we know that we have to mobilize resources from everywhere, from governments, from private sector, from the foreign private sector and from from the domestic private sector. Um, but in the context of this challenge, uh, do you see a way to get private financing more more frequently mobilized to meet some of these adaptation investments that are needed to reduce the exposure and the vulnerability to climate risk? Yeah, both the private sector and the public sector have a big role uh, to play in terms of financing adaptation. I think as you uh, rightly point out, uh, the public sector cannot do it by itself. 
to really scale up, uh, you need uh, access to private sector financing, which is always multiples of what's available from the public sector. However, I believe that the public sector's uh, role can be a catalytic one. So firstly, you can look at guarantee type structures, you know, blended finance as they are often referred to, where the public sector are financing through bilateral donors or the development financial institutions and multilateral development banks come in to take the riskiest part of the capital structure, thereby allowing the private sector to come in and take up the risk that they're more uh, comfortable uh, with. In the African context, we have seen also the development uh, of solutions uh, to address some of the concerns that investors uh, have. Uh, in my conversations with investors, the concerns are around uh, currency uh, uh, risk because then international investors don't want to invest in the local uh, currency. So they face the risk from the devaluation of the currency or being unable to convert uh, their currency uh, once uh, the investment matures. There are also concerns about political uh, risk, but uh, for all these uh, risks, there are solutions that already exist. You can think of institutions like uh, African trade insurance uh, that addresses political risk. There is the African Guarantee Fund, which provides uh, guarantees. There are also other institutions, uh, the development banks, uh, African Development Bank, the World Bank, uh, KF, uh, KFW, etc., that create these guarantee uh, type uh, 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 structures. So if investors are really looking for solutions to address the risk, the solutions uh, already uh, exist. And again, the public sector still plays uh, a big role in terms of uh, the implementation of the, of, of the solutions such that we can really unleash the trillions of dollars on the balance sheets of insurance companies globally, pension funds, uh, savings uh, uh, accounts, so that we can also invest in adaptation and accelerate the uh, uh, resilience uh, of our communities uh, to the impact of climate change. Thank you, Leslie. That leads to uh, what I think would be an interesting last thought I'd like to, to tease out of you, if you if you allow. Uh, we've talked a lot about insurance and the role that insurance can play in helping communities to re recover from the shock of a climate-related event. Um, we've talked a lot about mobilizing finance for the types of structural investments that are needed to reduce vulnerability so that the impact itself remains manageable and the risks remain insurable. Do you see this aspect, your work in the insurance sphere, how do you see that in the context of the challenge of mobilizing finance for sustainable development? We talked about a moment ago about how important it is to mobilize the private capital that's available and ways to doing that. Do you, think, do you see the insurance solutions as being a part of that overall effort to increase the availability of finance for sustainable development? Or, or is it really something that is fundamentally separate? Absolutely necessary, yes, but a separate part of the overall effort. What's your view on that? So I view insurance as being an integral part of the financing uh, landscape. 
because we provide expertise across three domains. So uh, the first one is, you know, the expertise that we have uh, is around the management of risk, uh, understanding the risk, quantifying the risk, and developing uh, risk management uh, solutions. So beyond just providing insurance coverage, I believe that we have succeeded in becoming a trusted partner uh, to African governments and African corporates in terms of uh, uh, understanding the risk from climate change. As I mentioned, you know, we are a data-driven insurance company. So we have uh, literally terabytes of, uh, of data uh, over the past 40 years uh, for Africa. And this allows us and gives us a unique perspective on the true risk coming from uh, climate change. The second aspect where uh, insurance plays a critical role is uh, the traditional function of insurance of risk transfer. So once uh, a country or a corporate understands the risk that they face, they then can decide which risk they want to transfer versus which risk they want to retain. And uh, the risk that they want to transfer can be transferred onto our balance sheet, be pulled and reinsured into the global reinsurance uh, markets. This mechanism uh, allows us to provide lower cost insurance than uh, a client would get trying to negotiate by themselves, right? They get a much better deal as part of a risk pool. And then the third aspect, which I alluded to, but didn't really get to touch on, is around investments. Our business model means that we collect insurance premiums before we pay claims. So we do have a balance sheet that allows us uh, to invest in adaptation, in agriculture, in renewable uh, uh, energy as well to support the energy transition. So if you put all of this uh, together, we are supporting uh, the flow of finance into uh, Africa. Uh, we're supporting the, finance, uh, the flow of finance uh, into adaptation and therefore, we are really a key part uh, of the entire ecosystem. Thank you. Leslie Ndlovo, the CEO of Africa Risk Capacity. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of our podcast series. Uh, you stressed from the very beginning that there is a need for an, a holistic and integrated approach to this. One is not just trying to manage a risk in one limited sector, but is looking at the, the whole picture. But we're in a situation where the, the risk itself is changing rapidly. Um, and the typical approach of, of insurance to look at identifying the hazards, identifying the degree of exposure and, de and the degree of vulnerability, um, that might allow for some effort to reduce the scope and the impact of the, of the climate disasters by acting on the vulnerability. But that requires a considerable amount of investments, structural investments, and you've, you've spelled out many of the types of investments that have to be undertaken to deal with drought, to deal with flooding, to deal with, with tropical cyclones. But at the same time, we're all facing the challenge of rising costs of the insurance because the frequency and intensity of these events is increasing rapidly. Did you enjoy the conversation? Well, let me encourage you to please stay in touch with us on our social media handles at UNEP underscore FI, or you can find the UN Environment Programs Finance Initiative on LinkedIn. My name is Elliot Harris. Until next time then, goodbye. <laughs>